Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Feeling lucky? Nemecolon's Lady Luck Casino is under new management and better than ever with 26 table games and an array of slot machines for you to test your luck. Try your luck at the table games, hit the slots for the day, or stay overnight to enjoy Nema Cullen's luxury accommodations, fine dining, and all that the casino has to offer in one breathtaking mountain location. Visit nemacolon.com for more information and to reserve your stay. Lady Luck is open to the public. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Ever read this book? A lot of people have. And they found it was one of the most vivid, powerful stories they'd ever come across. The book reviewers thought so too. Top-notch ones like Clifton Fadiman, the expert stump run information please, and a noted critic. He sort of summed up the way I feel about this story when he said, I think it's sort of what you might call a masterpiece. I couldn't put the book down until I'd finished it. And right then I I knew more than anything that I wanted to play in a picture made from this story. Well, I was lucky enough to do so. And while it's not ethical for an actor to talk about a picture he's in, in public that is, I'm going to do it anyway. The Oxbow Incident is the thrilling, dramatic story of the Old West and its fabulous characters as they really were. Down in Texas where I come from, we just go out and get a man and string him up. That's right. I say stretch him. It ain't just a rustler we're after. It's a murderer. If you got any doubts, Tedley, I say let's call off this party. Take it back to judge like Davies wants. This is only slightly any of your business, my friend. Remember that? Hanging's any man's business that's around. That's just a brief idea of what you'll find on the Oxbow incident. We at the studio think it's one of the most daring and unusual pictures ever made. Jammed with emotional and dramatic impact from the start to the amazing climax. When you see it, we believe you'll agree. What I might do, I could always do it like a, a whispering ASMR stuff. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hold new clientele on this podcast. This is... <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. <laughs> It works better, I think, if the voice doesn't crack under the strain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. The pain. The ASMR pain. Oh, dear. You're not getting any of that this week. No, you're getting a discussion on Oxbow Incident. And while a week has passed in podcast land... Uh, only hours have passed in reality, so I still have this voice. <laughs> this is why Andrew still sounds like he's in pain. It yeah. has only been an hour and a half since our last recording. Yes. It's okay. Yeah, I'm surviving. Um, So the Oxbow Incident, which is directed by William A. Wellman. We've talked about him before. I'm sure we'll talk about him again in the future. Um, but this is a really masterful film. Dave, as the person with the voice, can you tell us about what this film is about? Yeah, it it is a film that moves very quickly, so it should be very simple to tell us what it's about, right? Because it's only an hour and change. So basically, um, we're following these two, you know, these cowboys, these ruffians, and they wander into this town. And basically, we find out that a 
a member of this town, a valued member of the community, uh, has been his cattle has been stolen and he's been killed. So they very quickly are creating a quote unquote posse, really a lynch mob to find the people that are responsible for this and judge them and kill them. Um, but essentially, I think a lot of what this movie is about is like the danger of mob mentality. Um, and how hard it is to stand up against that. So that is like the inciting incident. And then the movie just goes like they kind of set up the posse. And then there's a couple beautiful shots of the of the countryside. And then they catch up with these people right away. And the rest of the movie is essentially this kangaroo court. Uh, mm-hmm. This this sequence where they're trying to figure out, you know, who did what and if they did this thing. And does anyone care if they actually got the right guys? And that is in a in a nutshell, that is the Oxbow incident. So it's a very, movie that moves very quickly, but I can promise you is absolutely worth worth your time. Like this, in terms of like favorite westerns, this shot up like practically to the top of the list for me. Like this is this is stunning. your first feeling. Uh, yeah, I'd never heard, yeah. like. Okay, that's not true. I was going to say I'd never heard of it. I think um, listener of the show and friend of ours on Twitter, uh, Zeta Short. Mm. Uh, had mentioned it like offhandedly either on a podcast or through our work at in session film. And I was like, Oh, that's a weird name and never thought about it again. Um, and then you were like, yeah, we're going to cover this. And it's like, so, you know, it's real short. It's all, I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> it, it's it's re- readily available. I was like, okay. I knowing nothing about it. Like I went into this totally completely blind and was just knocked, knocked for a loop by this movie. I was not expecting, I was like, Oh, I like Westerns. It'll be fine. But this is really incredible work. Like, just from, if nothing else, from an efficiency standpoint, mm. like, one of the most <clears throat> incredible movies I've ever seen. Like, it manages in 77 minutes what a lot of films can't manage in two hours and change. Like, it just, it is a character piece. It is, it's a good story. It's well filmed. It it leaves you with something to think about, and they do it all so quickly. Like, it it feels like a movie that would lose its luster, right? Because, like, oh, you move so quickly, you're not really going to get to know these people. But there's, like, there's practically, like, ten major characters here, and I think you get a grasp of who they all are in that short time. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, there, there is a really magnificent use of a shorthand here as well, where basically, you know, they they touch on who these characters are because of who they are as people. You know, a religious person, uh, you know, a Mexican person. And Henry Fonda's character, who's the main character, we kind of get to to know and see this story through. And what I really like about this film is that we get to see how kind Henry Fonda is as a person. And it's masterful casting because it's a lot like James Stewart in a lot of his films where he's such a kind person. And we see that in his eyes. And then we see that in his performances as well. And, you know, in certain films with Stuart, that kind of kindness is used against the character in a way, like in Vertigo, as we mentioned in the past. But here, for Henry, like, his eyes and his comfort and casualness and just kind of considerate way of looking at the world is very... It's very much part of who... Henry Fonda is as a person. And we see that throughout his roles as a character, you know, in, in cinema history. But here he's, he is the kind person. He is the, the audience surrogate. And unfortunately, just like the audience, we are unable to stop what happens here. We are, we are 
sitting here, knowing what happens and seeing what happens and knowing that this posse is built together without ever having seen a body, without ever having seen the crime take place and just on hearsay. And and sure enough, there is a moment early on where, you know, they say, because the sheriff is out of town and they're like, maybe we should wait until the sheriff comes. And they're like, no, nah, we got to get these guys right away. Because if we don't, then they could be gone and then we'll have lost our chance. And there is the the brilliance of this film as well is it, it lets you feel, okay, yeah, you're right. If you don't move now, you might lose them. And so at first you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, right. You got to go. And then it unravels so quickly from there. So, yeah. so quickly. Yeah. So let's talk about Henry Fonda for a minute. This so is, good. this is movie star stuff here. Oh, yeah. Like this is like. It doesn't matter if and who hasn't, but it doesn't matter. Even if you've never heard the name Henry Fonda, as soon as he shows up on screen, you know whatever it is, Henry Fonda's got it. Mm-hmm. Like you just know right away. Because there is kindness in his character, but it's also it's covered by a little bit of like that Western bravado, right? And you can only portray both of those things if you're a movie star. Because he does it so efficiently and it not with the, there's not a lot of like you know, blubbering dialogue about how we got to be good people and blah, blah, blah. It's just like you see it just behind his eyes. And there's all these and you treat you see it because even if he's rough around the edges, he treats everyone like a human being. Um, And that is what separates him from everyone else in this crew. Right. Is that he is he is listening more than he's talking. Um, everyone else is like running off at the mouth constantly. Like, this is what we got to do. I know what's what, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, maybe we should take a second, guys. Like, maybe we should let this breathe a moment because I don't feel comfortable with this. Something is not right. Um, there's a there's a, there's a a particular scene where he's like sitting there with someone else and he's just like drinking whiskey on horseback. And you can see behind those eyes that he's like, we're headed towards something that isn't right. Like, he knows. And again, he's helpless to stop it. The really interesting thing about this movie is that I think in a lesser movie, this is a mystery. Mm. Did did they do it? Did they not? I'm not sure. Hmm, I'm not sure where to go with this. There's no mystery in this movie. You know, I think two minutes after they meet this this trio, they've got the wrong guys. You know it right away. Um, and yet they're still like and even though you kind of know how this is going to end there's still suspense and you still care about all these characters. And although Henry Henry Fonda is great, honestly, the standout here for me is Dana Andrews, uh, who plays Donald Martin, who's kind of the leader of the trio who's accused. Mm. I mean, talk about a human performance and a, a performance devoid of the toxicity of masculinity, especially in Western times. You've got it right here. Like they, it's, they make a huge deal about this letter that he writes to his wife. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, there's no way this can live up to what, but it does. Like when they finally read that letter out loud, it is heart wrenching. It is brutal. And it's like, and of course at this point, it's a voice from the grave. By the time we hear it, this man is already dead. He's been, Mm -hmm. let's call it what it is. He's been murdered by a lynch mob for something he did not do. Just who, for being who will likely get no place. retribution as well. Nope. Like, there, there will be no fallout from this. These these men will continue on yep. living their lives, feeling proud about what they've done. Right. Feeling proud about having killed three 
innocent men, even right. though they know that the person that apparently was killed is still working around alive. He's perfectly yeah. fine. And that is the that is the gut punch of this movie. Like the whole movie's full yeah. of gut punches, right? It's like, oh, this is horrible. And then to find out at the end, not only did these guys not do it, that there was no crime at all. Like the man is still alive. He's still walking around. He just got sick and now he's better. Like I was just like, oh, this is so brutal. And like they they do they have a little moment of like shame at least, you know, where that guy basically where the sheriff basically comes back in and it's like you know you've completely screwed this up and you should all be ashamed of yourselves like and they kind of leave with their their tails tucked between their legs but like tomorrow probably nothing changes they just go on with their lives and like yeah yeah that was messed up that was a mistake anyway yeah see for me this film is easy to point to a time where lawlessness lawlessness reigned you know Mm -hmm. It, it effectively Men had guns, had horses, and a whole lot of time on their hands. And Mm. they were full of whiskey, and they were full of bravado, and they were full of trying to show each other up. And they would go out and find trouble, and Mm -hmm. cause mayhem, and cause destruction, and end up with people getting killed. And it is pointed that, you know, there there is a race aspect to this particular narrative, too. Because... Lynching is such a prominent part of American history. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that I shouldn't be watching this film in 2021 and going, this feels relevant now. Like, I shouldn't yeah. feel that. Like, I should be able to go, man, the 1800s were fucked. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. But I'm watching this now and I'm like, the the amount of stories that take place about black Americans getting killed under similar circumstances just because, ah, this person, you know, we, we heard that something had happened. Right. And, you know, this is, this is kind of like an, just a a history repeating basically. Mm -hmm. And that's what I felt so most devastating about this film is that it doesn't muck around. As we're saying, it's 75 minutes long and it knows that it has a point to, to get to. And right. it wants to get there so you can sit there and think about what's just taken place. And right. then to walk away from this film and go, okay, how can I stop this from happening in my own life? This isn't an outward message film. Like, it doesn't feel like a, a film that is like, oh, by the way, this. You know, right. like, we've seen so many different message films. But this this feels like a film that is like American history not great. Here is why it's not great. And here's how we can improve it. Um, that's how, that's my take on it. I, I just found this a really powerful film and it's, it's kind of devastating as well that it only got one nomination, like best picture. Like it, it deserves so much more. I don't know why, you know, I don't know why it only got one nomination, just like Grand Hotel. I got no idea yeah. how that only yeah, the got fact one nomination. That, the fact that neither Henry Fonda or Dana Andrews was nominated is Nothing. criminal. Like, they're both it's so good. They are they are perfect performances, both of them. Both very different performances. Um, but they're both phenomenal here. Here's something that makes me sad about this movie. So, you know, you brought up the the connection to the experience of black Americans, right? And I think I don't think it is a coincidence that they have a black character 
mm. go with them, right? Yeah. And it's like kind of like as this like, oh yeah, see this makes it okay. He's black, he's a preacher, it's gonna be fine. Here's the thing that makes me sad about that. That actor was uncredited in this movie. Uh Lee Whipper, who played Sparks, who was wonderful, by the way. Yeah. In this totally uncredited part. And I was like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like you know, I understand it was a different time and, you know, all that. But, like, give the man some credit for his work because it's not as if it's a walk-on part. He's there. He's a major role. Like, 90% of the movie. Yeah. Like, I was just like, what are we What are we doing here? Like, I know. Did you even this, read your own script? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I know at this time, like, we were literally uh, – having black people be second-class citizens at this time in our country's history. We we do it now. We just pretend like we don't. Um, but, like, come on. This guy is, he's, in a lot of ways, he's the heart of the movie. Mm. He's the one, especially as, as next to Henry Fonda, like, kind of kind of telling him like it is, you know? Like, here's, here's what's actually happening here. Yeah. And I think if he's not there, if that character's not there, then the character of Gil, Henry Fonda, doesn't take the actions he does. And it's Again, it's such an interesting part for Henry Fonda, and I guess, according to him, it's one of two acting performances of his that he actually liked and was passionate about. It was this and Grapes of Wrath were the two that he really loved, Um, and for good reason here. Um, Not that the other stuff he did wasn't good. He had plenty to be proud of other than this, but those two performances are particularly good. Um, It's a strange role for someone like Henry Fonda because he is a movie star. He is a Western movie star, a man of action. And everything that Gil does here is for not like, yeah, he stands up. Yeah. He tries to fight off the posse and let this guy go free, but none of it works. Mm. It's, it's useless. Like we all are against the power of a mob. We can't, no matter what we say, we're not going to stop this from happening. So yeah, you, he can sleep well at night knowing that he quote unquote did the right thing. But what difference did it really make? This man is still dead. This wife still has no husband. This children still have no no father. Despite the fact that Henry Fonda looks good in a hat and said the right things. Where does that leave us? And that is a strange part for a male movie star to play. Like yeah. it is. Because even like he looks at Grips of Wrath and Grips of Wrath like is a hero story. This ain't it. This is not a hero story. This is about the idea that like it doesn't matter if you stand up and you're heroic. You can't stop it. And it is dour, man. Like, this is, like, you walk, <laughs> like, like, the movie ends and you're just, like, it's why it's weirdly, like, mildly uplifting because you get to hear this letter. But it's also, like, a, you know, it's a, it's a knife right under the ribs. Yeah. Like, not only did this awful thing happen, but look at the, look at the beautiful soul that you've erased from the world. Like, look at this kind, genuinely kind man. Who knew what was coming gone. to him? He knew what was coming to him. This is what he wrote. Yep. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I keep on talking about the era that these films come out and stuff like that. But to think about when this film came out, like right in the midst of World War II, and it's just like, it, it does feel defeatist in a lot of ways. Um, in a way that kind of feels um, surprising. You know, yeah. surprising from a director like William Wellerman who I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked having had something that feels so dark, you know, after, after something like wings, 
you know, for example, right. which is right. literally the first one that we ever covered. And that is such a optimistic and hopeful film. But there is a bit of darkness there. But the darkness here is just like, there is no message as to how to fight a mob, how to battle no. evil, how to conquer, conquer something that is so defiant in its, um, in its journey to, you know, conquering others and to, you know, trying to do the right thing. These people think they're doing the right thing. Think yeah. they're, you know, enacting the law and all this kind of stuff. And the question that rings in your mind is kind of like, well, what si- what kind of society exists that allows a group of people to think that going off in the middle of the night to kill a bunch of men for the death of one person, at least, is the right thing to do? Right. And there's no answer. There's no answer yeah. to that. It actually, like, you know, I, I look at the kind of all the movies so far that have been nominated because mm. I've watched 90% of them at this point. Um, and I am, I'm glad that this was nominated, but I don't understand it. Like, is it worthy of a nomination? Is it worthy? Absolutely. Yes. But given the Academy and given the time that this was made to have such a cynical movie be nominated for an award like this is Mm. stunning. And it makes me think if that's why it didn't get nominated for other things, like, because, you guys like, fine, here's your carrot. Here's your, okay, here's your Best Picture nomination. No way you're going to win, but here it is, and we're going to walk away from this. Because it is, I don't think there's any arguing that this is a great film. It mm. absolutely is. There's no question. It's beautifully acted. It's beautifully filmed. It's beautifully written, all those things. But, like, man, is it depressing. Like, I was just watching this. I actually watched it twice. Um, like, I watched it, you know, probably... Probably two weeks ago now, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, I was sitting around thinking about it, and I had to write an article about it, and I was like, I kind of want to watch this again. And of course, it helps that it's, you know, it's seventy minutes. Yeah. You know, I'm like okay, yeah, I could just throw this on, and I can, I can watch it while I write about it, so I can kind of get the feel of it. Um, but it's it's shockingly rewatchable for a movie that's so sad and so depressing and so cynical, but the performances are so good. And we haven't mentioned yet. We haven't mentioned Anthony Quinn, Mm. um, who also gives just, I mean, kind of a tremendous dual performance here, right? Because when he's introduced, he's pretending he doesn't speak English and he's like, no, no, I'm nice person. I'm not. And then someone recognizes him and he like tries to run away, get shot and all that stuff. And then portrays himself. Yeah. The real character. And they're so different and both so interesting. It's such an interesting performance. Like, because he is the one of the three that you're like, oh, yeah, you are suspect. Yeah, there's like something you, shady about him. And that's important. You might have done yeah. this, but you did something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And it is important. You're right. Because that gives these men even more of a reason to do what they wanted to do already. Because, like, make no mistake, this was not about justice. This is about men wanting to kill and finding an excuse to do it. Yeah. Like, think about even at the very beginning of the movie when they're rounding up the posse. Look at how excited they all are. This is not like, well, this is rough, but we got to do this because we have to keep the peace. No, it's like, oh, this is our shot. This is our shot for bloodshed. We can kill someone and no one will say anything to us. Yeah, they're like hounds out on a fox hunt, you know. Yes. They're they're just... There's no humanity in their eyes and the performances, they're all great because, you know, there is that, that 
that reality to what they're doing. Um, obviously, this didn't happen. This is a fictional story, but there is a reality to the level of masculinity that's there. And I imagine for the actors as well, having a group of men and just feeding off that energy, that kind of brutish masculinity is, um, it's intoxicating. You know, and it's, I personally don't, you know, I, I struggle with those kinds of groups because of the fact that it is so easy to kind of slip into that. Um, not me personally, but, you know, I think that, I think there's something a little bit terrifying about seeing, you know, groups of photos of groups of men and mm-hmm. just like jovial groups of men because there is something about, um, there is something like these characters, the the look in their eyes of wanting to do something terrible and enjoying right. it. And mm-hmm. that is so familiar for a lot of different reasons. Right. You know, we see it like in corporate culture, basically, you know, the, the mm-hmm. boardrooms that are stacked with men. And that's a thing that, again, feels so frightening is that this narrative is relatable across all situations. It's mm-hmm. not just relatable in a cowboy situation. It's relatable in workplaces, in families, in schools. Yeah. And... You know, we've we've seen it as well in Mutiny and the Bounty as well, um, that kind of thing. And I find that really, really frightening in a lot of ways because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously all the reasons that we've just said, but I don't know about you, but I find masculinity very frightening um, Mm -hmm. because it's confronting. It's terrifying. And, you know, we as men are terrifying. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And I say that as a, a man who has been in rooms with other men and felt threatened. Um, and this film makes me feel that same feeling. And it's uncomfortable right. and I don't like it. But yeah. I love that it, the film makes it, me feel that, though. Yeah, And it overpowers even the most masculine man of the group. Yep. Right? Exactly. No one's more masculine than Fonda in this group. Like, the, you know, the movie starts with him drinking and fighting, like the, the cowboy stereotype. What do you have, whiskey? What do you got? Whiskey. See such a guy. All winter I've been thinking, and all he's got's whiskey. That's rotten, ain't it? Rotten. Two glasses in a bottle. So you think like, oh, he can handle himself. It'll be fine. No, it absolutely won't. And he's and a tall man as well. Like he's. Oh a... yeah, he's a big dude. He's yeah. Towers over everybody. Yes, absolutely. And it, I think that is, you know, of course, purposeful casting, right? Because mm. they want you to have some small moment of hope that like he's he's going to be the hero and he's going to overpower these other nine guys and it's going to be fine he's going to save the day and then what what happens he tackles one guy and then he is he is covered by everyone else like there's nothing you could do one man against 10 there's i don't care how big you are how strong you are this is not this is not a martial arts movie mm-hmm. where you know you take on 50 guys and you knock them all out and you never take a shot no, this is more real, and this is like one against ten. No matter how strong the one is, is not strong enough. Yeah, you cannot stand up against this just on your own. It's, it's rough. It's and you know you you mentioned kind of the masculinity of the movie, and it's something I find really interesting. Is the the character I think her name is Rose, mm. um, the ex girlfriend of Fonda's character, um, who just kind of like in the middle of all this, just kind of shows up. 
right? And it's like unannounced, and all of a sudden there's this pretty girl, and it throws everything into upheaval. So what was your, in the midst of all this, like what was your reaction to the introduction of that character and getting a little bit of backstory about Gil? It was surprising, um, and also quite um, quite comforting in a way, because yeah. you get to see, specifically for him, there is a kinder side to him, and we already know that from that, but we... It's it's the affirmation of that, the affirmation that, you know, in a time where, uh, you know, th- this town has no women in it at all. Like, right. it is a town of men. And yeah. Well, there's one woman in the posse, right? Yeah. There's this one. But she is very masculine she in is. presentation. Yes, this is true. Yeah. And so when, when his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend comes up, there is this feeling of, well, she felt comfortable to be around him. Out of all the cowboys and all the men, and, you know, she felt comfortable enough to be around him. And that's what I felt about that. It strengthened him as a character. I didn't really feel that she was too memorable, though, in the whole scheme of things, uh, which is a bit... It's sad, but also, in the same hand, this isn't a story about how men react against women or how women react against men. It's it's an aspect that kind of lifts that all up, but it's not the main thread of the film. How about you? Yeah, it's it's weird to say, but like in a seventy five minute movie, I was still like, do we really need this? Yeah, like we could we this movie could be seventy two minutes. We don't we don't really need this. Like, I think she's an interesting character. I think it could have actually been expanded more. Um, but like just as it is, I was kind of like, okay, like you're right. It does show. It does give us yet another example of Gil being a kind man. But I think I think we get that from how he treats yeah. the one black character. We get it from how he's willing to listen to the men who are accused of this crime. Like we we get that pretty clearly. And it's like I it just it felt like a like, well, it's a western. We got to have a pretty girl. Like this is this is what we got to do. So it just it did feel like kind of paint by numbers stuff. Mm. It's really the only part of the movie that I'm like eh. it's not a thing where I'm like, "Oh, this is so awful." But it is a moment where I'm like, eh, "That's a weird choice." Feels like feels like there's something on the cutting room floor about this, and it. I think it also provides a chance for us to to see Fonda as cool, right? Yeah. Like in comparison to this new guy who's kind of a fop and just kind of like, oh, he's a fancy boy. Like, and and and, and again, we see Gil like not not rise to the the bait of like knocking this guy out or making a mockery of him. He just like lets him. Let's him say his piece, and then he kind of goes off and drinks his whiskey and is is by himself. So it, it creates it creates yet another way for us to like Gil a little bit more, which serves to be all the more impressive because really, there's not there's not anything in the script that makes him terribly likable. Mm. It's all performance. It's all exactly. Fonda. Yeah, like it's like I said, like the best way I can describe it is like we. If this movie had never been made, I don't know that you can make it now. I don't know that we have movie stars like this who could just show up for an hour and just look in the camera and you know that you should be paying attention to them and you know that they're a good guy. Even if they're drinking whiskey and carousing and knocking people out, you still know maybe Brad Pitt like is the closest we have to a movie star. But like male movie stars, like who who is there? Who's left? And even then, like nowadays, Hugh Jackman maybe could yeah. play this kind of role, but I don't know if he's rough enough. 
to play that role? I don't but know. He, like but, maybe. Which is which is an amusing thing. Like people say that about Hugh Jackman all the time, and yet he's an actor who has continually played rough roles. And that's the thing is that the modern actors nowadays too pretty. They, they're too pretty, but they also enjoy playing a darker side every so often. You yeah. know, Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Logan and stuff like that for Hugh Jackman. And I just, you know, I was thinking maybe Ryan Gosling, but even then he's like, eh. Yeah, I but don't this, know. There's I mean, nobody of I the mean, same he's, milk. He's played Darkness and stuff like Drive, I guess, but that is such a stylistic movie that that like I love Gosling in it, but that is that is a director's movie, man. That is controlled by the camera, whereas this is much more controlled by the actors. I mm. just don't know that we have like Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I mean he's played dark roles, I guess. If you're talking about stuff like Wolverine, I guess that's kind of dark, but like it's a comic book and it's like you have a built-in audience for it and people who know it and all that good stuff. Don't so, forget his role than- in um, Prisoners as well. Like he did uh, some that's true. dark, that's true. Okay. dark stuff in there. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. I I I forgot about that one, but that yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. But some of it, like, and this is not to say Fonda is not a good-looking man. He's a stunningly good-looking man. But there's a difference between being ruggedly handsome mm. and being pretty. Hugh Jackman and Ryan Gosling are pretty boys, yeah. right? They can play a little bit of darkness, but. But Fonda looks like, I mean, not to be this guy, but he looks like a man. Like, he looks like a man who has been through some stuff, and he's seen the world, and he's been, like, okay, maybe someone like Daniel Craig could play this kind of role. Yeah. He's got that, in the, especially in the first James Bond movie. Um, but it's rare that you see an action hero who looks like he is he has been punched in the nose a couple times. Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Liam Neeson could play a role like this. Um but neither of those guys are true, honest-to-God movie stars that, like, oh, he's in it, I'm going to go see it. Fonda was. He was one of those guys yeah. that would carry a movie no matter what. But, yeah, he's, it's a special performance it's that really I don't know impressive. could be recreated. Yeah. I'd probably say, throwing one more hat in the ring, um, Garrett Dillahunt, I think, would probably do a very good job of this. But Who? 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 Nobody knows. I mean, I know who that is. But yeah. Nobody knows who that <laughs> but is. But he's not no. a movie star. But he would be able to do something like this. But Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Timothy Oliphant could yeah, play this role. Yeah. He could absolutely play this role. Yeah. And not just because he was good in Deadwood in a, in a Western stereotype. But, like, he's got that hero thing and that bit of darkness. So, okay. Maybe yeah, Kurt wear Russell a hat back well. in the day. Yeah. He wears a hat well. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we've recast. We should remake this. The Oxford said we can make it 55 minutes long. We can take out all the women because who needs women in movies? Just exactly. get rid of them. Who's directing it? Sean Levy? We'll get Sean Levy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Me. I'm directing it. This is my movie. You're producing. I'm directing. I'm going to call Timothy Oliphant. We're going to make this happen. Fantastic. This is... <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah. What are you going to call it now? What's the new name for it? Oh, no new name. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call it the same thing. We we want we want the comparisons because this is going to be a five star Oscar winning. Your film movie. is as dead in the water as it was in 1943, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me film Twitter is that going to come out and support this? Unfortunately, <laughs> not. No, I'm sorry to say, the film <laughs> Twitter isn't even out supporting Oxbow Incident already. You know they should yeah. be they should be championing this film like. They absolutely should be. I, yes, it shouldn't be leaving the Criterion channel, but it is. That makes me sad. Yeah. I, you know, I keep on looking as we go through these older films, you know, I'm like, why isn't Ninochka more talked about? Why isn't the Oxbow incident more talked about? 
Like, yeah, this is up there with, I mean, this is up there with Nanochka in terms of like movies that I had never heard of, yeah. never seen before going through these nominees. And I'm so like, yeah, there's a lot of, let's be real. There's a, not a lot of shit, but a lot of like middling movies that I've watched because of this things. I'm like, eh, I'll never think about that again, but I think it's worth it when you come upon something like this that you've like never really heard of. Like, what was the other one? What was the Betty Davis uh, movie that, uh, the little foxes like that. Ninochka, this like phenomenal movies that I never, honestly, I can say this probably never would have watched because no one talks about them. Okay. But the question is like, obviously alongside all of the nominees and stuff. And, and we talk about this all the time, of course, but, like some of the films that you've watched that you say are terrible, would can you can you look at them and see that they would have been good then? Some of them, and some of them, I'm honestly just very confused. Like I'm like, really? Why I don't this because, because I know a lot of the films are nominated are nominated because of politics or because of who's who in the studios. So and I've stuff watched like. That. like 25 war movies like in in, in starting this podcast yeah but i have been told i've been informed by friends of mine that uh, apparently i need to spend more time on lesbian twitter because they talk about nanochka all the time which makes a lot of sense and i'm like okay yeah i need to i need to branch out a little bit i don't know how you're gonna get them in there dave but you know i I don't know i don't know i gotta i gotta find i gotta find someone to vouch for me yeah so i can i can get in with this cool crew of queer women that's that's what that's what i'm about um, so yeah, but there's, you know, I would say in terms of the movies that I feel like are middling, I would say about, about 70% of them. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's not for me. And this doesn't work now, but in 1936 or 1941 or 42 or whatever. Yeah, I get it. But then there's like a handful where I'm like, oh, this is, this was this never is good. Bad. Yeah. This is never good. Like we just, uh. You know, other movies that got nominated, like especially this year's nominees in particular, there's like four or five of those that I was like, I don't know if I want to finish this. And I finish every movie. I don't ever stop. I don't ever walk away because I'm a damaged person. So I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta finish this out. But there was, there was like three movies in this crew where I was like, can it, is it over? And they were, a lot of them this year were long too. Yeah. They're like two and a half, three hour movies. And like, there is no reason. It's because they sent all this, their fucking editors off to war, probably. They did. Yeah. They, they're all, they're all, they've all got guns and they all yeah. got helmets now. Can't, yeah, bring the editors back. Everyone else can stay at war, but please, for Dave's sake, bring the editors back. One of the things I find interesting though, is that, you know, the, the celebration of mediocrity and shit um, doesn't go away in Oscar history. You know, it, it continues on. Oh, it doesn't. You know, the it blind doesn't. side and extremely loud Green and incredibly Book. close. And yeah, and Green Book as well. Like Crash. Yeah. You win. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's why we ask about these things and say, you know, do these, does the Oscars matter? And no, they don't matter. But this film matters a lot. And I think it yeah. matters so much because of everything that we've talked about. It is an important film. It's a great film. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those great films that, unlike so, as a comparison, for one of my other podcasts, um, "You're Less My Command," we just watched "Mirror," a uh, Tarkovsky movie, which is, by the way, is incredible. But I can't imagine recommending Another one that of those, movie, buddy. Yeah, you just yeah. I, I I can't imagine recommending it to anybody. Like I'm like I don't even know how to 
describe this. I don't know how to recommend it to you. I can't. I literally cannot think of one person. And like you, you should watch this movie by Tarkovsky. But this movie, I want to recommend to everybody. Mm. Like it's easy. It's easy to digest. It's a short movie. It's a good movie. It's got movie star performances. It has a message that's important. Like, and it's just really good. Like this and Ninochka are probably the two easiest recommendations. Oh, yeah. of any that we've watched like Casablanca which we just talked about yes obviously amazing fantastic one of the best movies that we've deserved produced in America absolutely but this I feel like because it's so underseen and because it's so it's so easy to get through like everyone should watch this movie because it's so like it's set as a western but I don't think of it like oh it's a western it's got all the tropes it kind of it kind of flies in the face mm. of the tropes of the western the like you know, the man in the white hat, the one man standing alone, fighting the good fight and winning. It's not that movie. It's fighting the good fight for no purpose. That is a brutal, nihilistic view that you usually don't get in Westerns. I, like, can't believe this movie got made. Like, I'm yeah. I'm stunned by it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is the kind of film that I think that somebody like David Ayer would look at it and go, yeah, I want to make a version of this. And oh, his God. version would oh. be, Andrew, I know, I'm why? sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm don't, just saying. Don't put this in the world. If if in five years there's an Oxbow incident, Ayer cut, I'm coming to Perth and kicking your ass. Don't you put this in the world. I'm just don't saying, do it. looking at something like Fury, for example, this is like the lineage. Which is of, probably Ayer's best movie. Yeah, and it's an awful is. film as well. But it's just like, you know, you can see that he's, he in particular, I don't, I don't know why I'm bringing him up, but he is a director who's inspired by this kind of nihilistic narrative. And right. and I think what I'm trying to get at is that the nihilism nowadays in films, you know, touching on these kinds of themes, are usually made by filmmakers who really enjoy wallowing in that, in that darkness. Right. Whereas you can right. tell There's... that William Wellman here is like, I want to get away from this as far as possible. Yeah. I've got to tell the story, but I've got to get um, away from it. This is not a nice yeah. place to be. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a weird joy in the nihilism of people like Zack Snyder and yep. David A. There's whereas this, like, you are left with your heart ripped out. This is not like, ah, eh, isn't that edgy and cool? Uh, no, there's none of that. It's just like, wow, life is useless. This is fucked up. Like that's how the movie ends. Yeah. It's like this this man is dead now. And we're just going to wallow in it and read this letter and drink because there's nothing else to do about it. Like, ugh, it's rough, man, but it's so good. I'm so glad I got to watch it. Like, leave it to me to, like, find the most depressing movies and watch them twice. This is the second time I've done this. What's the what's the divorce movie with Ryan Gosling? Uh, Boy um, Valentine. Yeah, I watched that. I watched it for the first time for a podcast, and immediately the next day watched it again because I apparently just wanted to be really, really sad. I think so, I was on that podcast with you. Yeah, you memory. were. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. look at us, two divorced men now. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. It's okay. It's fine. Everything is good, man. Yeah, but it's like it's. I am. I think I watched this twice, not because I wanted to feel that way again, but because I'm just so in awe of this movie. Yeah. Like. The, the things that it manages to accomplish in such a short time are just like, I, I can't believe it. Like every time, like, cause when I think back about this movie, it doesn't, it feels like it gets started quickly, but it never feels rushed. Mm. 
And a movie like this should feel rushed. If if it's that short and it covers that much, it should should feel like we're like pushing and pushing and pushing. And it never feels like that. And like, I mean, I just mentioned it could be five, ten minutes shorter and still get across all of this. Like, Mm. it's incredible. So, but but these kinds of short films like this, it's not a short film, but it's you know shorter films like this just highlight the importance of uh, the economy of writing, the economy of editing, and the economy of performances as well. Um, Before I ask the last question, Marvel, not everything has to be three hours long. You jackass! As I said, story, get out, get in, and get out. I watched this on the day where I watched Army of the Dead, and that that thing's fucking two hours and forty minutes long. And it's like, oh. why? Why? That is my question to you, Andrew. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Did you have to review it for your site? Is that why? No, or did you do this just like, for fun? I did it for fun. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, so much worse. Um, the question which I want to ask before the main question is, because this is such a leaden film, is there a film that you would pair this with that you would recommend people seek out uh, to go alongside it that might be a good kind of um softer pairing hmm. would you even do that or would you force people to sit with it <laughs> yeah that's that's an interesting question i i mean i i keep thinking the movie i keep thinking of and probably because it's a western and it flies in the face of western ideals is a relatively recent western uh with michael fassbender uh slow west because uh, it has a, if you look at the end of that movie, it's got kind of a similar, like, fuck me, ending. Um, and, you know, and it really, you really have to sit with it. And you really have to deal with what you've seen. And I, I think, obviously, it's not as good as this. But I think it would make for quite an interesting double feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what I'd pair it with. But if I if I had the option, I would just want people just to watch this. Like, yeah. just spend your hour and sit with this because there's a lot there's a lot to chew on yeah um and you know you can and you could also pair it with all kinds of movies about mob mentality you could pair it um with uh oh god i'm blanking on the name now it's a very famous book uh but the the boys um um who end up with this like mob mentality and kind of end up attacking each other lord of the flies um you could easily pair it with that um, for sure. Or you could read uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, um, which became, I think, a um, uh, Twilight Zone episode at one point, too, um, which is all about, like, actually, the monsters are within us. And mm. when we all gather together, there's a there's a quote about I can't remember where it's from now, but there's a quote about, you know, a person versus people. It's the idea that, like, you know, a person is smart. People are dumb, scared animals. Yeah. And that is what we have here is when we all get wrapped up in our own nonsense that we end up doing terrible things. So it's like it's important to have independence. It's important to stand on your own because if there were more in this party, if there were more people like Gil, something would have changed. Yeah. But there was only like two or three people because there were others who said, no, we shouldn't do this. But no one else who stood up and said no. And put their body on the line. Everyone else just stood back, except for Gil. That's why Gil is the kind one. That's why Gil is the one who you walk away feeling like this is the only honorable person. And you feel broken and sad because he is. That's the movie wraps up. Yeah. Yeah, the film I would probably recommend people watch alongside this is Destry Rights Again with James Stewart Uh, and Marlene Dietrich. I've been meaning to watch that. I haven't seen that one. 
but it's supposed to be great. Yeah. It's a it's a very anti gun violence. You just film. like Jimmy Stewart. You just like Jimmy Stewart. That's I love Jimmy Stewart. A- yeah, I do. I do. But there is a there is a kindness, as I was saying before. There's a kindness to Jimmy Stewart. There's a kindness to Henry Fonda, and both of these films kind of skew that kindness in a really interesting manner. And they both talk right. about major issues in American history. And you know, I keep on uh, gun control isn't an issue, is it? Eh. Not at all. You got no, you got no problems with guns in America at all. No, Perfectly no. fine. We got them everywhere. Yeah. No problems at all. Yep. Ooh, uh, not great. <laughs> yeah. yeah all so right, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a good pairing. Did it get? Did it get nominated for an Oscar? I only watch movies that are nominated for Oscars. You know this. I don't have time for anything else. It's it's uh <laughs> it is on the Criterion collection though, so you know. Oh, you know my weaknesses, sir. Okay, fine, fine. I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> And and it has it has a really like an all timer brawling sequence with Marlene Dietrich against another woman uh, in a bar, and it is okay. Okay, I'm sold. I'm yeah, sold. it's That's a stunner. <laughs> Why did you lead with that? Talk about bearing the lead. Yeah, dude. sorry, sorry. I'm not very good at selling films, you know. Right. I care about guns and Jimmy Stewart. No, Marlene Dietrich fighting. That's all I need. Yep. Good job. And she sings too. Um, yeah, it's good. So, does the Oxbow incident matter, Dave? Um, to me, yes. Clearly, it hasn't because no one ever, has ever heard of it. But it should. But it should matter, right? The message matters. The movie itself matters. The way the film is made matters. Yes, it matters one hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And it's it, this kind of film that makes. Um, makes a statement for why message films need to exist and Mm -hmm. why they're important in a lot of ways, because this doesn't, even though the narrative is the message, it doesn't actively beat you over the head with it. It just leaves it on the table and presents it to you. Whereas a lot of other message films are like, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? And like Mrs. Miniver. Yeah. Fuck that. I actually, the further I get from that movie, the less I like it. I like it less, <laughs> less. I I watched that movie. I was like, it was fine, and now I'm like, man, I don't like that movie at all. Like, I just mm, gets on my nerves. Yep. I'm still thinking about that priest at the end of Mrs. Miniver, just ruining everything. The worst. So, talking about priest, what's our next film going to be? Uh, it's Double Indemnity, right? It's Gaslight, right? One of those? No, no, no. That's <laughs> something called Going My Way that I've never heard of. Ugh. I'm sure it's terrible. I don't know. It's directed by Leo McCary, so it can't be that bad. It's a musical it's a, about I singing mean, priests. Like musicals. So, oh, man. I was with you until that last word. Okay. <laughs> you Leo told McCary, me to stop bearing the rock. lead, so, you know, I just, I'm putting that in action. Musical, okay. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yes, all right. Well, musical about priests. What could possibly go wrong, Andrew? What could possibly go wrong? Who knows? And we haven't decided on what film we're going to pair it with, um, but... I, I've decided. I've decided what we're going to pair it with. Okay. What? What is it? Jesus Christ. We're we're gonna we're gonna do Gaslight because it's supposed to be really great and I've never seen it, so it gives me an excuse. And it is to a have literal to term. Uh, it yeah, is a literal yeah. term society. So yeah, so let's do Gaslight. I mean, I'd be fine doing Double Indemnity. It's a great movie, but I've seen that like five times. So I've never I seen that it I at need. all. So these are these are new watches for what? me. All three of oh, them. Oh my god. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll either do Gaslight or Double Indemnity. How about that? We'll we'll agree to one of those two. Fantastic. I think we'll do Gaslight, and then we'll release an episode of Double Indemnity just so listeners get to feel what Gaslight was about. Um, you know, 
But I'm just... We're lying to you. Yeah. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all, all week. Um, yeah. So look, where can people follow you on Twitter as well? Um, and oh, all God. Kind of stuff? Why on earth would you want to do that? Um, yes, I am on Twitter too often. Less often now. It's like my time is being filled with something else. Hmm. Who knew? <laughs> uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Darn That Dave. You can tell me how wrong I am about Mrs. Miniver and how right I am about the Oxbow incident because I will brook no argument about the Oxbow incident. It is fantastic. One of the best movies we have covered on here. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Darn That Dave. Um, and where can they find you, Andrew? They should talk to you so you're on Twitter more, not talking about nonsense. You can talk about something real, like Oscar movies. Oscar movies, yeah. Uh, the Curb AU. Do that. I'm currently talking all about Australian films, which is a surprise. I've never done that before. Um, and, you know... Those are not Oscar movies, Andrew. Talk about Oscar movies. Talk about movies worth your time, not this Aussie nonsense. Aussie. Like, Aussie. Crocodile D. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar nominated Crocodile Dundee. Uh yeah, so the Curb AU. But if you wanna if you wanna talk to Andrew about Australian movies, you should talk about the actors. My favorite <laughs> my absolute favorite awards name because it sounds like actor with an Australian accent. The actors. It's great. Yeah, and you do it so well. In fact you have a, a perfect Australian inflection there, so it's it's wonderful. It's the, it's the only word that I have the right inflection in because it guides me to it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Well in as a small suggestion for people, um one of the, the films that actually two of the films that won um Best uh, Picture at the Actor Awards have just got released uh, on Blu-ray with stunning transfers. And one of them is Malcolm, which is a film uh, starring Colin Friels. And it's a really wonderful film. And I highly recommend everybody pick that up. It's a great disc. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Really nice, charming little film. Um, so, yeah. The Curb AU is where you can find me on Twitter. And also uh, us, Awards Don't Pod, on Twitter as well and previous episodes at thecurb.com.au. For now, we will see you again on the next episode, for now, uh, um, where we will talk about going my way. Joy. Yeah, I'll hopefully have a better voice by then. Yeah, might sing a tune or something. Free free singing. It'll be great. (laughs) Can't wait. You ought to read this letter, too. You know I can't read. read it to you my dear wife mr davies will tell you what's happening here tonight he's a good man and has done everything he can for me i suppose there's some other good men here too only they don't seem to realize what they're doing they're the ones i feel sorry for because it'll be over for me in a little while but they'll have to go on remembering for the rest of their lives Man just naturally can't take the law into his own hands and hang people without hurting everybody in the world. Because then he's just not breaking one law, but all laws. Laws a lot more than words you put in a book. Or judges or lawyers or sheriffs you hire to carry it out. It's everything people ever have found out about justice and what's right and wrong. It's the very conscience of humanity. There can't be any such thing as civilization unless people have a conscience. Because if people touch God anywhere, where is it except through their conscience? 
And what is anybody's conscience except a little piece of the conscience of all men that ever lived? I guess that's all I've got to say except kiss the babies for me and God bless you. Your husband, Donald. He said he wanted his wife to get this letter, didn't he? Said there was nobody to look after the kids, didn't he? this podcast support it and sponsor today simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details how powerful is the cox network so powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away connecting to remote operating room giving a whole new meaning to the term house call operation complete the cox network with gig speeds everywhere it's internet built for tomorrow today cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply